Welcome back to another edition of the Making the Man's Called Basketball podcast. I'm your podcast host, Jonathan Warner, uh, and today we're going to be talking through uh, what has been a busy past couple weeks in college basketball. Uh, obviously, today uh, we get news down from the Big Ten that they will be only doing conference games for college football. We don't know exactly how this will be impacting the sport going on, uh, but I think it's good to start with this for today uh, before we get into some other subjects. So what do you make of the Big Ten kind of uh, deciding today for football it's going to do conference only, and how do you think this eventually impacts college basketball? Yeah, uh, the Pac-12 has also announced it now. I think all schools will end up doing it. But the thing to consider here is that college football, I think, is like 49 days away from its scheduled start time. That's just that's just about a month and a half there. And when you look at it, college basketball is yesterday or is like four months and like three days away, I think. November eleventh, I think, was the uh, start date. So we're still a ways away. I think that there's a lot that could be affected though if there's no non conference playing college basketball. You look at conferences like the NEC, some of the lower mid major conferences, the SWAC, the MEAC all those conferences could be affected because they need buy-ins. They need to be paid money to go play at these schools to support their athletic department. And if they can't do that, there's going to be problems for those conferences in the future. Yeah, definitely. And we, we don't know what will be going on with some of those leagues. Uh, the Ivy League announced that uh, just the other day that they're, they're, they won't start games until January. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if other conferences fall suit uh, with that. Maybe it's just going to be a situation where we have conference only, which who knows what that would look in terms of seating and all that. But it, it is definitely something uh, we we knew we had, you know, a couple months ago, we knew we had months to prepare for this, see if, you know, we could get, I guess, treatments or something for the coronavirus. But right now at the rate we're going as the United States, uh, it's it's not looking good. Uh, Grant, that I'll, I'll say this: the death rate right now is low, but still, coronavirus is definitely impacting our lives. Uh, definitely impacting people who do get the virus in some sort of fashion. Uh, so it, it's something. Maybe the coronavirus isn't as deadly as we originally thought. Uh, but it is still in, uh, impacting, you know, college sports, and and that's something that's going to be interesting to see as college basketball season kind of rolls along here. Yeah, definitely. And uh, for everybody listening, if I could just put my words of wisdom out there, just please wear a mask. Like, if you're a college basketball fan, don't even if you want to say, "Oh, I don't need a mask because I'll be fine." You can feel that way, but do it for those around you. And if you want sports to return in the near future, we need to keep the country safe and wear masks. But let's talk to it. Let me dive into the Ivy League real fast. I have a big issue with a lot of the way the Ivy League runs things uh, in athletically. Like for football, they lose a ton of money. They make no money. This is no surprise that they are going to can't that they cancel football altogether and likely won't play it at all this year, whether it's in the spring or not. I don't think I've ever watched an Ivy League football game, and I'm sure most people haven't, because I don't even know where you can find an Ivy League football game. 
but they don't make money. And the way testing goes, they need to be tested early and often. They need to make sure that the coronavirus is not spreading throughout these programs. And in football, with how many members to the team there are, there's probably triple, maybe quadruple the amount that's in a basketball program. If one player gets and spreads it to 20 other players, that's the entire that the entire team cannot play. So I just think that that, along with how expensive the testing may be, played into it. But what I want to see the Ivy League do in terms of basketball, there's no college basketball season for the Ivy League. They need to change their rule to where players that uh, cannot have an extra season, like if they were to register like Makai Mason or Bryce Aiken or Seth Towns, Jordan Bruner, they have to transfer. They cannot spend more than four years at a university, even if they have an eligibility left, they have to transfer. I think that's a terrible rule. That really just makes them look bad because I think it's a college basketball for the Ivy League is a fun product. I watch it a lot on Fridays. That's almost all that's on during conference season, and it's pretty good. So I just think they need to put more of a priority around athletics and, or just get rid of it all together. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, I, I think they need to definitely keep athletics around, uh, but you know the overall impact that that brings is tremendous. But at the same time, uh, for their athletes, at at the very least, this year, if there's not going to be sports until you know the spring season, if not at all, uh, if the Ivy League does not give every you know player a free red shirt shirt year, uh, what what are you doing, the Ivy League? Uh, get give every kid that wants it a free red shirt year. Uh, don't make them graduate grad transfer to another school like Seth Towns, Bryce Aiken, uh, Makai Mason, uh, had to Jordan Bruner as well. Uh, just give them their that extra year of eligibility just to play in college, even if it it goes against the traditional way of the Ivy League. Uh, just for just for the players, just do that at least for this year, if that's going to be the case. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just a disastrous rule. I don't know why it's a thing. And you think about the players that that could affect. There's no college basketball season. Players like Paul Atkinson and Azar Swain from Yale, Chris Knight from Dartmouth, they're all seniors. They need to be given the opportunity. And if they want to transfer, go ahead. I don't blame them at all. But if they need to be given the opportunity to return and finish what they started if they want to. Yeah, definitely. I think we're both on the same page here. Uh, Mature Maker has decided he's going to Howard. Uh, this is a big, big pickup for the HBCUs, obviously Howard as well. I think this could become a trend going forward. Uh, it's looking like a trend. Mikey Williams has been saying he would consider going to an HBCU. Even LeBron James uh, and Brian James have you know, talked about the importance of HBCUs in sport, I think this is a thing going forward that I think is going to be done uh, a few more times. Maybe it's not going to be Mikey Williams or Bronny James, but I think there's going to be more, you know, three or four star students that decide, well, maybe instead of going to a, you know, VCU or Wichita State, uh, they maybe will decide, hey, I'll go to Howard or North Carolina Central. I think this is a thing that, you know, Mature Makers, the first one, he's kind of the trendsetter, but I definitely think going forward, this is a thing that you might see more and more. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, and first, I'd like to give credit to two guys, two players, for kind of the way they shaped this into existence. Joshua Christopher, who decided to go to Arizona State, took a visit to Howard. He took an official visit to Howard. You're only given, I think, five official visits, and he took one to Howard. He had them in his final seven or something at one point. For a player of his caliber, he's not the best player in this class, but... I think he could arguably be the most popular the way he promotes himself on social media and is active. And I think that the way he had Howard, him and Maker, I think, visited like the same month. And Maker committing, obviously, that's a huge thing. Hopefully he decides to leave the NBA draft because watching him at Howard will be an absolute must-watch television thing. They're supposed to play Notre Dame at home in uh, January, so hopefully that can happen. That'll be a fun game to watch. Uh, I just think that McCurr Maker, along with some of the returnees they have, will be a fun team to watch if the meet can stay in how it is now. If not, they'll be in a different conference, I guess. But the big thing plaguing the HBCUs and has for a while is transfers. Like, R.J. Cole was Howard's best player. I think they won 18 games two years ago. He leaves, they win four games. He's going to UConn. Benjamin Stanley from Hampton, he left this week. Like, they're losing guys left and right, but there's some guys who decide to stay, like Cameron Langley at North Carolina A&T decided to stay for a senior season. He led the nation in assists last year. So we'll see how this goes, but as long as guys stay at HBCUs and they get some three- and four-star guys also, there can be some bright futures in HBCU basketball. Certainly, and we'll see kind of how Mature Maker pans out. I think he'll do pretty well there. I think he'll dominate the league, and may- maybe more people want to go to an HBCU. To what? While the talent's there a little bit, it's getting better. Uh, you'll if you're a four or five star prospect, you should be able to you know dominate in that league. Uh, we'll see what he kind of does, but I definitely think there are going to be more and more you know higher caliber recruits that go to. HBCUs. Moving on. Sorry, one more thing real fast here. And these guys can make themselves a legend at these programs. You see Jaden Michael who decided to go to Elon. He's going to become a legend there at some point probably. He was originally committed to Wichita State. There's some things that are just bigger than playing at Kentucky for some of these guys. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Moving on here, Amani Bates has decided he's going to Michigan State. Uh, still no word, you know, on whether that will officially happen. It's still two years away before uh, he really starts to get, give this full consideration. But right now he's scheduled to go to Michigan State in the class of 2022. He could re- uh, decide, you know, reclassify, go to 2021 uh, for next season. Uh, we'll, we still, you know, we'll wait and see on the name image lightning likeness uh, situation with the NCAA has that kind of goes along that could maybe impact my Bates but uh, him going to Michigan State obviously big for Tom Izzo big for Michigan State as they are a program uh, landing not only you know the highest recruit in best or Michigan State history uh, one of the you know best you know high school recruits it some have said that Maya Bates is the best player since LeBron. Uh, wait, I, I don't think he'll be LeBron, but 
you know, he's going to be a pretty good player, and Michigan State just gets a home run pickup uh, with Imani Bates. Yeah, definitely. And there's a couple things here. I want to get into the comparison to LeBron James and Kevin Durant. Those are fair, and they happen when you're such a hyped-up prospect. But I think for Imani Bates, you need to block out that outside noise. You can't let it get to your head. You don't want to be – confidence is a good thing, but cockiness is a bad thing. You don't want to be too confident and think you're going to be the next big thing, and then you end up playing in uh, Latvia in three years. Like, that's just – not probably not going to happen. He's not going to be playing overseas. But like, Imani Bates is such a talented player. Just what I've seen. He's six foot eight. He's lean. He does look like Kevin Durant, Brandon Ingram, that kind of guy. He can shoot. And I just think him. I think he likely will reclassify. His exact quote was, "If it's too easy this season, I may just reclassify in the next season." So obviously, he's pretty. He's a pretty confident kid. Um, so I think that. But the thing with him is. He, if he reclassifies to 2021, he still has two years before he can enter the NBA draft with the current rules because of his age. So he could either spend two seasons at Michigan State, which would be historic for a player like him, or he could spend one season at Michigan State and go to the G League or go overseas. I think that's the kind of thing that will likely get him to go to Michigan State ultimately. And they add a 2021 five-star guard in Max Christie. Yeah, Max Christie as well. They add him this week. Uh, so Michigan State... If they can get a Amai Bates reclassification, uh, forget about this season. I think Michigan State will be good, but I don't think they're a national championship contending team. But you look ahead to 2021. If you get Amani Bates to reclassify, uh, you got Max Christie, you've got Rocket Watts, who I assume will be back. Maybe you get Aaron Henry, Joey Hauser uh, into the mix. That's a Michigan State team that's going to be super dangerous. Uh, I think they're a team that that season will probably enter in as the preseason number one team uh, if they can get Amai Bates to reclassify. If the roster looks like, you know, kind of how I just described, that's going to be a very dangerous Michigan State team and one that I think uh, would be favorites to win Tom Izzo his second national championship. Yeah, one more thing on Michigan State. Aaron Henry could be on that team also. He'll be a senior if he decides to return and not go to the NBA draft. And two top 100 guys from this class, A.J. Hoggard is a guard, a combo guard. He's a pretty talented guy. I don't expect him to play a huge role this season, but in 2021, he'll be a big player. And Matty Sissoko, who's a uh, big man and he's pretty strong, he's a pretty good defender, I think that he's going to be a big piece in the future also. And, you know, maybe if Xavier Soman comes back this year, Sissoko can learn under him. That's the kind of thing that you can, you know, it's the kind of, kind of guy you want to learn from. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with Michigan State. Uh, whether Amai Bates goes to school, uh, for our sake, I hope he does. And uh, for, for schools like Kentucky and Duke, who didn't end up recruiting him, uh, kind of a miss for those schools who, you know, kind of were out of – out on him obviously they thought probably the one and done rule was not going to be in place but they're missing out and now Imani Bates is at Michigan State moving on here CJ Walker uh, has decided he's going to UCF Uh, the Oregon transfer just recently uh, announced that he was going to transfer away from Oregon 
Uh, and now he is going to UCF. He is from the state of Florida, so I think there's a really, really, really good chance that he ends up getting a waiver uh, for this upcoming season uh, for UCF, which is really big for Johnny Dawkins and the UCF program uh, for this upcoming season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, T.J. Walker didn't exactly have the season I'm sure he had imagined at Oregon last season. He just never really got going, but he showed flashes. I mean, he, I said in the story I wrote about him that he's probably the best athlete in college basketball, and I'm not just saying that. I think he actually is. He posts videos of him dunking over, like, four people regularly, like jumping over them and dunking. That's not really normal things that most basketball players can do. And if he's a 6'8", a guy who can be a four, and he could be a small ball five, with this kind of athleticism, I think it's a huge get. I think UCF isn't a tournament team, but they could certainly be in fix. Certainly. I, I think UCF definitely is going to be a really good team. Uh, going forward, playing in the American. Uh, and the American is pretty wide open. Houston, Memphis, uh, SMU are all going to be decent teams, but there's no team that looks like a clear favorite. So may- maybe there is room for UCF to kind of you know emerge towards the top of the conference, especially with a really talented and athletic player like C.J. Walker. Yeah, but actually at this point, I kind of would say that Memphis is kind of ahead of the pack when it comes to the rest of the teams in the American. I'm assuming they get moved to Cisse, which it sounds like they're likely to do. He sounds like he's going to stay home at Memphis. They have Lester Quinones, they have Boogie Ellis, they have Alex Bomack, they have Malcolm Dandridge, Lance Thomas, uh, DeAndre Williams to get a waiver, Landers Nolly maybe gets a waiver. I mean, that could be a really good team. We'll, we'll wait on the Musa Sissi uh, move, but if they do pick, Memphis does end up picking up him. I do think that emerges them as the favorites, uh, but certainly not a de- done deal yet. Uh, moving forward, staying in the uh, American, Isaiah Mike of SMU has decided he's not going to return to college. Uh, it looks like he's going to play overseas. Uh, I think that's what the report is. This is a big hit to SMU. He's kind of a really good foreman for them. Uh, really, you know, big, bulky, uh, can kind of, you know, is really good in the front court for SMU, and that that's something they'll miss out next year. Although SMU will be pretty pretty good, uh, I think they'll be, you know, still probably an NCAA tournament bubble team but this definitely hurts their ceiling going into next year. Yeah, I, I had them as my favorite in the American before this, and I was kind of surprised. But if there was one between the three of Isaiah Mike, uh, Tyson Jolly, and Farron Hunt that decided to not return, I thought it was Mike. So I'm surprised, but not completely surprised. I think that he's definitely an NBA guy. He has size and shoot. There's always a spot for them in the NBA. He's a really good athlete. He'll probably be a second-round pick, maybe. Probably a two-way contract kind of guy. But the X factor now for SMU is if Ethan Shagwa, I believe it's pronounced in French. And, uh, he's another big man. He's going to be playing the center spot. If he can step up this season, they could be a really, really good team. And then Darius McNeil, who's a guard from Cal, he's a transfer set out last year. 
he's a pretty good scorer. I think he's going to come off the bench, and Emmanuel Bandumel will start. So those two, Bandumel and McNeil, if they could provide some good points at that two-guard spot, that could be very important this year. Yeah, definitely. Staying in the American, Dejan Giroux uh, announced that he's coming back to Houston, unlike Isaiah Mike. This really big for Houston. Uh, while they're not going to be the same level team uh, without uh, Nate Hinton in the lineup, Fabian White out of the lineup, uh, they'll still be, I think, a pretty good team. I still think a tournament team, especially with Kelvin Sampson at the helm. Uh, you still have Caleb Mills, Marcus Sasser, Quentin Grimes, and now Dejan Giroux. That's going to be an exciting backcourt. Uh, I still don't know what they do kind of in the front court, but Houston's definitely a team I think still going to be pretty decent next season and will definitely be an NCAA tournament level team. Yeah, I'm a lot uh, lower on Houston than most it seems like. I just really don't buy the guys that they have down low. I think that Bryson Gresham is going to play a big role this season. They also landed Reggie Cheney from Arkansas. He's he scheduled to sit out, but I think he may have just been pushed out due to getting the most recent transfer Arkansas got. I think it was Justin Smith was probably the most recent one they got. Yeah. Musselman is obsessed for some reason. So I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of just pushed Cheney out and they thought that Justin Smith was better. So I think overall, as long as I think Caleb Mills might be the best pure scorer in the American. I'm not as high on Quentin Grimes as others, but I think he could have a really good season. He's just really streaky at times. And then Marcus Sasser's a really good shooter. Dejan Giroux is a blue guy who can really get involved. He's a good defender, but scoring's an issue for him. So I'd like to see him be a lot more efficient this season. Definitely. Uh, Giroux, Quentin Grimes, th- those are the two that are really hit or miss if either one decides to show up uh, on a given night. I think what you know what you're going to get out of Mills. You know what you're going to get out of Sasser. Uh, Gresham, I, th- I think he can kind of just be a solid five-man. But what's going to win Houston games that they might not otherwise win is if you can get Dejan Giroux, if you can get Quentin Grimes playing well, on the same night, that's a really scary Houston team. On the other hand, the, those two players you know, will have nights where they just don't look interested, they don't show up, and that that's when Houston's going to struggle. If those two players don't really show up on a consistent basis, the Cougars are definitely going to be a team that you know, maybe instead of being an AC contender, maybe is a bubble team. We'll see kind of what we can get out of the they can get out of those two players, but Houston, definitely an interesting team in the American going into next season. Yeah, and one thing I want to add before we move on from some talk about the American, your name is still available, and Maryland, I think, is going to land Benjamin Stanley, the Hampton Francis, we'll talk about more later, but I think that takes them out of the URNA race if they land Stanley, so I think the two front runners for URNA, with Arizona State now out of the running, too, I think it could be SMU and Houston who could land your A. And I think whichever one of them lands him will be huge. He's a really good defender. He can get a bucket when needed at the hoop. He's not much of a shooter, but he's just a guy that every team needs someone like him. Yeah, definitely. And he's just, he's a shot blocking force. 
uh, block shots at an elite level, uh, and you know can kind of score around the basket. He's not overly humongous uh, like some other centers, but he he gets the job done with size wise and is is a really good fit, especially in a system that needs kind of that shot blocking rim running uh, center, uh, which both. SMU and Houston badly need at this point in the season. Yeah, definitely. Moving on, uh, Ben Stanley has uh, entered his name in the transfer portal. Uh, he is expected to go to Maryland. Uh, I think that's pretty the obvious pick. You you noted in your article that he grows up uh, grew up three minutes away from Maryland, so that he'll probably definitely get a waiver there and. He'll, he'll be a huge piece to a Maryland team that really, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of bigs with only Chol Mariel uh, and Galen Smith, the Alabama transfer, in the lineup. That would be huge for Maryland. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a big fan of Ben Stanley. I think I had 12 in my top 100 mid-major players, and that's a really good spot. I think he has 22 points and seven uh, rebounds a game. He can run the floor. He can shoot a three if needed. He's not the best shooter, but I think 33%. And it's not. And the reason I think he gets waivered, Hanson was like close to four hours away, driving distance from where he's from, but Maryland's 30 minutes. I think that's enough to justify a waiver. We'll see, but I think I think that three-hour and 30-minute distance is enough to justify him being eligible to play next season. Maryland, I think, was the first to reach out to him. Oregon's reached out to him, which I thought they would. Georgetown, same thing. But Maryland makes so much sense. Full Mariel, he's 7-2, but he's not played a lot of basketball. And Galen Smith, is, I think his best skill is probably fouling. So I don't think they really want to play him a lot. He's just kind of there to eat up in it. I, he's not a great player. Just, so I think getting Stanley would be huge. Yeah, definitely. Moving on, stay or moving to the Mountain West Conference. Derek Alston announced that he's coming back to Boise State for his senior season. Uh, that's huge for a Boise State team that I think reasonably can be considered now the favorites in the Mountain West. Uh, you know, this is a team with Alston. They have Dutrer uh, and uh, coming in Emmanuel Acott as well, both from Arizona. That's a team that really uh, Raj Raj. Ray, Ray J. Davis, uh, or Dennis, I think is his yeah. last name. Dennis. Yeah. Ray J. Uh, Dennis, yeah. Yeah, he, he's a really talented player, carried them in their win over Utah State when they were down by 30 in the final 20 or uh, four minutes. Uh, he carried them to that win. Uh, I think this is Boise State team that reasonably can be considered the favorites in the Mountain West going into next season. Yeah, Derek Olson Jr., I mean, he's a really talented player. The main thing with him that I point out with a lot of guys who are NBA talents, like Olson is, he's 6'9", 187 pounds. If he bolts up enough to just be able to bulldoze into the lane, get some muscle on instead of just being kind of skin and bones, at times being super skinny, I think for a guy who's 6'9", he can play really any position, that position with basketball. He's an NBA talent. He can shoot, and now he has a lot of help this year with Devonier Butree from Arizona. Abu Bijad is back again. Ray J. Dennis showed flashes last season. 
Emmanuel Acott. But here's the thing with me. Emmanuel Acott was a guard coming out of high school and at Arizona. He mostly played the two to three spot. And Abu Jab is more of a wing before guy. Neither of those guys are really through four or five. So I'd like to see how they adjust in that role. That could be an important thing to see this season. Yeah, definitely. Uh, moving on here, we're going to do something interesting. Uh, we're going to go into mid-major teams, and we're going to kind of go on a debate, take different sides on why each team from the conference is the team to beat. Uh, and th- this kind of comes – so you, you wrote a nice piece on Western Kentucky, how they're a team that could make a deep run. Uh, I've, I've been kind of on the other end, though, of the team in Conference USA, obviously – Everyone's hoping for two bid conference USA, but North Texas, I think, is going to be a really good team uh, going into next year. Uh, and Western Kentucky, I think you really like them. I think that's going to be a fascinating league race. So, what we're going to do, we're going to do three different mid major league debates. Uh, who should be considered the favorite? Uh, going to do Conference USA, the Ohio Valley, uh, and then the Missouri Valley as the three leagues we're going to debate. We're obviously going to start, though, with Conference USA. Why do you like Western Kentucky going into next season? Well, I'll start off with a little correction here. I don't like Western Kentucky. I love Western Kentucky. Um, but uh, getting into them more, they have four players who had double figures last year. Carl Bassey, who got hurt last season, was a top-ten recruit who got recruited by just about everybody in the 2019 class. I believe he's going to be a junior this year. Uh, that was the same class as Zion Williamson, as Cam Reddish, as Bull Bull. Um, that's just the kind of guy that he is. He's just a super strong player. And then you have guys, Tavion Hollingsworth, you have Carson Williams, you have Jordan Rawls at the one-guard spot. And I'm missing somebody, their fourth uh, double-digit score. It'll come to me. But they're a really good team that will have a great season. I think bench, their bench is an issue. But when you have two uh, forwards like Carson Williams and Charles Bassey, then you have a star like Tavion Hollingsworth. I just think a lot of things happen. And I think they're just a really talented team who can go out and beat anybody. And I know they have a pretty loaded non-conference schedule. I think they start the season with Louisville. But we'll see if that ends up happening. Yeah, definitely. If the uh, ho- hopefully they play against Louisville in the non-conference schedule uh, when the date's supposed to be, because uh, we're obviously pro college basketball on this podcast. Uh, I'm going to take the North Texas Texas side. I still think they're the team to beat in this league. They were the team to beat last season. They had an excellent conference. Uh, you know, they played well in the conference. They were the number one seed in the league, and they're returning basically everyone. Javion Hamlet is a player, uh, as a junior, was really good. Uh, he's coming back. He'll be, you know, a really, really good piece for them. Then they're returning, you know, a lot of good players. Jalen Jackson at the point, he's a really good, you know, player there. Uh, James Reese, Thomas Bell, Zachary Simmons, uh, J- Jemiah Simmons. Uh, that's a that's a really good, you know, one through six. I think there there's a lot of good pieces on this team that can, you know, kind of they fit each other's system. Uh, there's 
obviously Hamlet's the star, but everyone can go out, score 15 on a given night. I think this North Texas team is going to be really good going into next season. Uh, and it's going to be a fascinating Conference USA race because I, I think there are two teams that could uh, – either team could win that league race, and it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think North Texas is also a really good team. I think that uh, J.D. on Hamlet's a great player. And by the way, the fourth uh, double-digit score I'm missing is Josh Anderson from Western Kentucky. He's a great athlete, and he is a elite defender. I think that they're both going to be really good teams, and I think that they can be – I really hope that they can be a two-bit conference. But if there is no non-conference play in college basketball in 2020-2021, how will we decide who's going to and that's something we have to look out for, and that could affect these uh, mid-major teams quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. We're we're hoping for a, comp- a non-conference schedule because that that could be a major factor against you know a teams like a North Texas or Western Kentucky. Moving on here, uh, we're going to go into the second league, the Ohio Valley. Uh, th- there's three teams I think they're you know head and shoulders above the. Rest. It's Belmont. It's Murray State. And it's Austin P. I like Murray State going into next year to be the conference favorites. Uh, they return their star, you know, guard in Tevin Brown, who was uh, a freshman on the John Morant Murray State team, was the kind of the, you know, guy next to John Morant, the secondary scorer uh, with John Morant. He's an elite shooter. He's a knockdown three-point shooter. You got KJ Williams inside. Uh, you have a lot of you know upcoming. Players that were freshmen that will now become sophomores that played really well. Uh, Daquan Smith, Chico Carter Jr., Desmond Robinson. I think this is a really good Murray State team that's going to be you know, a team that is going to be fun to watch and a team that I think can go out and win the Ohio Valley next season. Yeah, definitely. I, I'll get to Austin P here in a second. But I agree with your assessment on Murray State. I really hope this should be a two or three big conference but I'm not sure it will be. They were a two-bit a few years ago. But one thing to add for Murray State, they like, I think he will receive a hardship waiver since he only played like five games last year. But Darnell Howard, 6'8", 280 pounds, a 10 a game on the John Morant team. I think it, as long as he can come back, that helps them a ton. Now moving on to Austin P. they have a guy named Terry Taylor who I just did an interview with. He's a super cool dude. A uh, great player at 21 a game last year with 11 rebounds. He's 6'5", and can really play the 2 through 5 spot. And then Jordan Adams, who was a freshman last season, I think at 18 a game, he's a good shooter. And then they, the biggest issue for them last season was their down-low play. And they added a lot of guys. They added uh, oh, one guy that, that Coach Matt Figger is super high on when I spoke to him is Matias Silveria. He's going to be a junior, I believe, this season. He's seven foot one, and that's a guy that can just get bored. He can block shots. He didn't play a ton last year, but he said at the end of the season, their coach at the end of the season said that he improved just as much as anybody, and he has super a super high ceiling. And then they added some other guys like Ibrahim Darjo from junior college, and they added two transfers, which we're going to see if they decided apply for a waiver and get one and Michael Peach from Georgia, and Corbin Merritt from Oklahoma. Yeah, definitely. 
it it'll be interesting to see if those players do get a waiver. Uh, if they do, maybe maybe Austin P. You know, I think Austin P. Though is definitely a team. You have a player like Terry Taylor that's just unguardable, and the best player by far in that league. It's gonna be hard to compete with Austin P. Uh, obviously, Murray State. I I feel Murray State's a better team. You know, maybe like one through six, one through seven, or two through seven. But Terry Taylor is a player that, you know, on any given night can just go out, score thirty points, and win you a basketball game. And that's something you know, maybe in the regular season, Murray State I think could win that league. But you you go out and you play conference play or conference championship. It's one game, and if you have the best player on the court. Uh, that's a major factor, and I think Austin P definitely is a team that not only should be on the lookout, but a team that can actually win that league and get to the NCAA tournament for the first time since, I believe, 2016? Yeah, I think around there. I'm not positive. Moving on, uh, going to go into the Missouri Valley Conference. There are two really good teams going into next season. It's Loyola Chicago and it's Northern Iowa. Both teams are returning a lot of pieces. Which one do you like in this league? Definitely Northern Iowa. I am a huge fan of that team. They have two elite shooters and AJ Green, not to be confused with the Bengals wide receiver. Uh, this one's just a really good basketball player and a great three-point shooter. And they have Trey Burhouse who shot, I believe, 43% from deep last season. They lose a couple guys like Spencer Haldeman, who was very good last year, but they also return Austin Fife down low, who had one of the best field goal percentages in the country. So they get him, and the X factor for this team could be Noah Carter. He's 66, I think like 230 or something. He's going to play the four spot likely and start. He shot 53 last, or 49 threes last year and made 20. So that's a 40% three-point shooter. I want to see how he is on the defensive end more consistently, especially with Spice not being a great defender. This is a, a not a very good defensive team, but man, can they really score. And I think Spice might be able to keep up with Brutwig enough, but he got bullied by Liam Robbins in that game in the uh, Missouri Valley Conference tournament last season. So if Spice can develop defensively and Noah Carter has a big season, they could be really good. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think Northern Iowa could be good. On the bright side, uh, you know, Liam Robbins is going to Booth Gotch's school, uh, Minnesota, so he won't have to get bullied by Liam Robbins anymore. Uh, but Kretwig for Loyola Chicago is an elite center uh, player. Uh, I'm, I'm not – I'm going to go with Northern Iowa. I think they're probably going to win the league. But Loyola Chicago is definitely a team to look out for. Uh, they have some returning talent. You got Kretwig down low. He's elite. Uh, he's the elite of the elite. Uh, Marquise Kennedy, Cooper Kafis, uh, Lucas Williamson, they're all back for another year. Tate Hall as well. I think this is a Loyola Keith Chicago. Clemens. Yeah, Keith Clemens as well. I think this is a Loyola Chicago team that is going to just be really solid on every night. I think they're probably going to, you know, if there's – league play if there's league play only they're probably going to go like you know 14 and 4 and be probably the two seed in the league tournament uh but loyal chicago is definitely a really you know solid team that's going to do really well in the missouri valley this year 
Yeah, and Crowley's most of the, one of the more experienced guys in college basketball. He's going to be a four-year starter once this season starts. He started, I might have started every game their uh, tournament run a couple of years ago where they went to the Final Four and lost to Michigan. That's a guy that can just bring everybody else on the floor up because of how much experience he has. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Crutwig is he? He's the he's going to be on the like all Perry Ellis, Evan Boudreaux, Connor Frank camp team that uh, Javon Carter, Javon Carter as well. Play, players that have been in college for uh, twenty to thirty years because uh, Crutwig joins the list this year uh, as a mid major player. Moving on, could go into some SEC superlatives. Uh, we've been kind of doing these with other leagues. Uh, we recently did it with the Big 12. We did it with the Pac-12, the Big uh, Big 10, I believe, or maybe it was the Big East. Uh, yeah, we did the Big 10. Big 10, okay. We did it with the Big 10. We'll eventually do it with the Big East and the ACC, but today is the SEC, uh, and we're going to start out Uh, By looking at the league favorite, uh, I'm going to start out with Tennessee. I think they're the team to beat going into next year, especially if Yeevee's Ponds uh, comes back for another season. This is a Tennessee team that is going to be returning a lot of pieces going into next year. Yeevee's Ponds, uh, John Fulkerson, uh, Santiago Vescovi, who you know never really you know came in in middle of the season and was asked, "Hey, you're our starting point guard." Uh, he's going to have another year of experience. Uh, Josiah Jordan James as well, and then you know really good freshman class of Jaden Springer, Keon Johnson. I think this is a Tennessee team that's going to go out and win the SEC next season. Yeah, I don't disagree, but I think the safest pick for me at least is Kentucky. As long as Olivier Starr gets waivered, he's a difference maker. And this is nothing new for John Calipari. Just throwing teams together that are mostly freshmen. And it's not like they don't have any veteran experience. They have Star as long as he gets a waiver. They have Keon Brooks, who was a freshman last year. They have Davion Mint, the graduate transfer from Creighton, who got hurt last season and didn't play a single game. And then the, you have guys like Devin Askew, you have Terrence Clark, you have Brandon Boston. Those are, those are three of the elite prospects in this class. And I think John Calipari is the best at just throwing a bunch of guys who aren't, don't have a, a ton of experience together but know each other like those three do. And then Sar. But the, the one thing to watch with them is the limited practice time they'll have this offseason, how they mesh together. It's going to be big to see. I'm really curious to see it. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see with Kentucky if they can you know, get the practice time together. They'll get the reps together. Because uh, we, we don't know if what states are opening back up, what colleges are actually able to practice together. Uh, could be a state-by-state basis. We we just don't know with this ongoing pandemic. But if SAR gets a waiver, I think Kentucky's definitely a team that is going to be really good. I, I still hesitate to put them in like a top 10 going into next season uh, just because, you know, you don't get the – natural gel but Kentucky's definitely you know they're always good they'll be good next year as well yeah I think I had them 12th or 13th and in my top 50 and I had like Tennessee 15th 
they're, they're right there for me, both. Yeah, I, I think those are the clear top two teams in the league. Although, on 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 paper, on paper, Florida should be there, but you can't trust Mike White. Yeah, he decided he has some of the most athletic players in college basketball. But you know what? He wants to be Tony Bennett in Virginia and play super slow for whatever reason, and I hate it. So, no, this this is uh, not an. Not a Mike White fan friendly podcast. I'll say that. Uh, Not at all. No. One 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 pl- one coach we do like uh, Nate Oates at Alabama. Someone that actually uses his teams, uses the analytics uh, to his favor. Uh, he chucks up a bunch of threes. They play run and gun. They do it. You know, they they play fun. They play fast. Uh, this is a fun team. I really like Alabama as a dark horse team going into next season. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. I think that it's either them or Arkansas for me, as long as Isaiah Joe returns for Arkansas. But let me just get into Alabama first, and I'll go into Arkansas a little bit. So Alabama, I'm assuming they returned John Petty Jr., 44% from deep last season, one of the best shooters in college basketball. You get Javon Quinterly, who was a five-star recruit, went to Villanova, didn't play, like, at all, and decided to transfer. Then you have Jordan Bruner, a transfer from Yale. You have a um, couple, they have uh, Josh Primo, a transfer from, or a freshman coming in. You have Jaden Shackelford. I mean, this is a really talented team that plays exactly how NATO wants to play. And then with Arkansas, you have Isaiah Joe, who's a, who can be a true point guard, in my opinion. He has very good passing vision for a guy who didn't get that much opportunity to do that with Desi Stills and Mason Jones handling fall the most. But they also return, they do get Stills back. Then they get Vance Jackson, who's a transfer. They get Connor Vanover, who's a transfer. They get Jalen Tate, who's a transfer. They get Justin Smith, who's a transfer. I don't know if you're noticing it's French there, but I think Eric Musselman likes transfers. So they'll be pretty good. Yeah, I think Musselman's a guy that... Uh... You know, likes the transfers uh, just a bit, uh, but Arkansas is a team I, I definitely like as well. This it will be interesting to see who starts. Obviously, Isaiah Joe if he comes back he'll start. I think Justin Smith will start. Uh, Vance Jackson I Moses think will Moody. start. Moses Mooney will start. Maybe KK Robinson or Connor Vanover. Uh, Jalen Tate. There's there's so many guys that could reasonably start for this team. Uh, going into next season, it's going to be, I think, one through nine, this is a team that is going to be not only really talented, uh, but I think they'll be well coached. I think they'll be a team that, especially as they get you know gelled, I think early on they might struggle, but as they kind of get gelled together, as they play more minutes on the court, I think Arkansas could be a team that, Late in SEC play, going into March Madness, you know, may, maybe they're like a double-digit seed, maybe they're a ten seed. They could be that ten seed that beats the seven seed and beats the two seed and gets to the Sweet Sixteen. Because I, I really like this Arkansas team going into next season, especially if Justin Smith gets used as a small forward as opposed to being used or being used as a power forward as opposed to being used as a small forward uh, like he was at. Indiana all uh, his three years there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think they have a lead eight potential. Not, I wouldn't put the Sweet 16 as their uh, ceiling. I would say a lead eight. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, let, let's just go. We're, we're full sending. It's going to be a Final Four bust for Arkansas this year. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, moving on, a team uh, going to go into the final. Who's flying under the radar? I think it's Texas A&M. They have an elite coach in Buzz Williams. Uh, they're returning a lot of pieces. Savion Flagg, Emmanuel M- Miller, Quentin Jackson, uh, J.J. Ch- Chandler as well. They're bringing back mostly everyone. They had a good uh, freshman class with uh, Jackson Robinson and Hassan Diara. I think this is a uh, Texas A&M team. Uh, I don't know if they're an NCAA tournament level team this year. I'm still they 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 kind of started a little bit too low for that. But I, I think it's a Texas A&M team that it's going to be at least decent this year and could be one that you know maybe goes like ten and ten and SEC play. I think they do twenty game schedules goes like ten and ten in league play and you know is a kind of a surprising team going similar to how they were uh, last season. Yeah, that's 100% my pick, too. I mean, Buzz Williams, what an incredible job he did last season. I mean, they in the Orlando Invitational, they lost to Fairfield, who won, like, six games last season in total. They were terrible, and they were, like, in the bottom, like, 30 of the net, I think. And Texas A&M lost by, like, double digits to them. I think Savion Flagg's a great player. They do lose Josh Nebo. But they do get Kevin Marfo, a transfer from Quinnipiac, who was the leading rebounder in all of college basketball last season. He's 6'8", 240. He's a four-man who can play the five. I think he's going to have a really good season. I think that some of their recruits are bringing in are going to be really good, and they have the most important thing to every team, which is an elite coach. Yeah, coaching is definitely big, and they have an elite coach. Whether it's this year, whether it's next year, I, I just don't see a way that Buzz Williams doesn't at least get Texas A&M kind of back on track going forward as a program. Yeah, definitely. Well, that will wrap it up for this edition of the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. Uh, it could have gone on longer, but you guys decided not to send in any Twitter questions. Uh, so the podcast ends here. Any last words uh, before we sign off, Sean? Um, you know, I was at least hoping that uh, the guy Jay from Twitter who asked everybody if Booth Gosh is going to get a waiver would at least ask that. But we didn't even get that. So uh, if you guys are still listening at this point, next time one of us tweets that, hopefully you guys can just think of something fast so, uh, you know, we can answer it because we'll answer them on the podcast. So, uh, yeah. By the way, the Booth Gotch update. He will be receiving uh, a notification if he will be able to play for this season in the next two to four hundred weeks. Two to four hundred weeks. Uh, that that's the exact yeah. timeline for the NCAA. Yeah, Jay. So if you're listening, there you go. Uh, Booth Gotch may be receiving a waiver. You will find out in somewhere between 2020 and 2028. And Jalen Coleman Lands will probably still be in college then. So, uh, yeah. Yep that 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 that's that's totally going to happen. Booth Gotch uh, going to be eligible twenty twenty eight, along with Jalen Coleman Lands. That will wrap it up for the show. Uh, thanks again for coming on, uh, and to the listeners still listening, thanks for uh, listening. I guess.